Father God, we want to thank you for being with us. We pray that as we examine postmodernism, that you'll help us to understand the world we live in. And we're grateful, Lord, that you have given us this opportunity to meet together, to think about how we can more effectively engage with postmodernism. And we pray now for your Holy Spirit to be present. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, when I think about what's happened lately, um, I see that we've had what I call the I revolution. Now, this is a fake picture since uh, he won't be here in 2012. So somebody developed this I board. <laughs> and there's Steve Jobs if he was to do his next big project. But, uh, you know, that's actually just photoshopped, so it's not real. <laughs> so you take a look at that and you realize that there has been a lot of difference uh, in the world that we're looking in. Uh, the, this world is changing drastically, and I look at what is going on in our world, and I start seeing there has been a shift, and that's what we want to take a look at, a shift in the way people view the world. So this was during the 2005 Stanford graduation, and Steve Jobs uh, gave his graduation speech to the class. Do any of you watch this? Okay, some of you have watched it, and he said this. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be tra trapped by dogma. Anyone know what dogma means? Kind of doctrine. Yeah. Don't be trapped by traditional doctrine, which is living the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become, and everything else is secondary. Now, at first, you know, when I first watched this, I was like, wow, you go, Jobs. <laughs> you know, so I kind of had that feeling. Come on in. We only just started. So, so I, I thought, man, this, this sounds really good. But the more I looked at it, the more postmodern I realized it had become. And I started looking at some of the things here. Don't be trapped by dogma. Another word for dogma is doctrine. Don't be trapped by doctrine. Uh, don't live with the results of other people's thinking. And I saw a couple of points here. One is that today, as our world is changing, we're moving from truth to meaning. So he was more worried about what is meaningful for me than what is a truth that has been handed down through the ages. That's very different from the way the world used to be. A second uh, point that comes out here is there's a move from facts supplied by other people to feeling. What, what's one of the phrases he used? Follow your heart. Yeah, your intuition. Come on in. Come on in. This is great. So we're just talking about Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs has this idea that, you know, you just follow your heart. And it already will teach you what you need to know. Follow your intuition. In the past... You got a body of material together and you got the facts and then you made sure that you were in harmony with the facts. Uh, now you don't need the facts anymore. You just need to be able to have intuition and feeling. So what are we going to talk about a little bit is your window on the world. And there's been a change in thinking. Uh, if you were in a house and you had four different windows and they each looked over a different part of the yard... When you look out that window, would you see the same as what someone else would see? No, you'd see a different part of the yard. Maybe one person would look over the garden and see the cucumbers and the tomatoes. Another person would look over the flowers and they would see that part. Another person over the hedge and another person over the road. 
So you have different views. Now what happened in postmodernism is this idea that everybody shapes their own destiny. That's kind of what Steve Jobs was saying. Everyone has their own view on the world. You see this, I see this, someone else sees, sees something else. We all get different views on the world. It's kind of like an old, the old Indian uh, parable about these blind men who went up and felt an elephant. And the one grabbed hold of the tail and said, you know, an elephant is like a snake. And then another one went and grabbed hold of the leg and said, no, 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 you're wrong. An elephant is like a tree. And another one said, no, you're absolutely wrong. An elephant is like a wall because he was touching the side. And another one said, no, no, that's totally wrong. An elephant is like a spear because he was holding the tusk. Well, who was right and who was wrong? All of them were right in some way. All of them had a limited perspective. That's basically the idea of postmodernism. You can't see the world fully. You can only see a portion of the world. So when you look at it, you're like, hey, man, this looks like truth. But it's always going to be limited to what you can see, your particular view of the world. So somebody brought up a fancy term. Any of you heard this term, paradigm? They brought up this fancy term to say, this is a set way of looking at the world. Now there, you may not be able to see it very well, but that is a flat world. So people used to believe that the earth was flat. Now, how many of you believe the earth is flat? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Stefan. So yeah, the earth isn't flat. So where did this idea come from? Well, they read some texts in scripture and from medieval times, they said, well, look, if you look down the road, does it look flat? Yeah. You, you look, look. And other people came and said, no, no, not at all. If you look, when you see a ship coming towards you on the sea, first you see the mast, and then you see the rest of the ship, which means the world is probably curved. You look up at the sky, and what does the moon look like? It's round. So they said, what if the earth is round? Ah, that's ridiculous. The church has always said the earth is flat. Some of the greatest theologians have said that the earth is flat. The Bible says the earth is flat. It's impossible that it could be round. So this term paradigm came to suggest that you had the set way of looking at the world, and that's the way you'd see things no matter what new information you got. The person who came up with this was a man by the name of uh, Thomas Kuhn. He wrote a little book in the 1960s called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. There'll be a quiz on that tomorrow. I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> so in this, he said, science hasn't progressed by getting new information and going, oh, this information is true. Let's grab that information. Instead, he says, science changes by revolutions. People believe the earth was flat. Now they believe the earth is round. People believe that the earth was in the center of the whole solar system. Then afterwards, they believed that the sun was, you know, in the center. And so they, they changed by a revolution. He called it a paradigm shift. And he said, look, I'm going to give you an example just to help you out. He says, you grab a pair of glasses, and these glasses are special. They're called inversion glasses. What are they going to do? Turn the world upside down. So you wear these glasses, and the world looks upside down. You know, you go and try and drink a glass of water, it's upside down. What are you going to do? Where do, you, where do you grab it? So he says, but if you wear it for like three days, here's a really freaky thing. You take the glasses off, and then the world looks upside down again. Your mind will actually, if you wear it for three days, it'll make the upside down world look right side up. And then when you take the glasses off, it makes it look upside down again. 
Isn't that kind of freaky? So, so he said, look, this is what happens. With a paradigm, you look through your glasses and you see the world a certain way. And then somebody comes and turns your world upside down. And that's a paradigm shift. You see things completely differently. Any of you became Adventists later on in life, or were you all born Adventists? You became an Adventist later on. Was that a paradigm shift? You had a change? You were seeing the world one way, and suddenly, bam, you see the world a different way. Any of you had a paradigm shift when you were getting educated? You were thinking one way, and suddenly, bam, the whole world looks different. And this is what he says, like putting on a new set, set of glasses. And that's all of the world is like that. Now, you may have seen this one. This is from Stephen Covey's book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. We've got a picture of a woman up on the screen. You can see that picture there. And then you can see the picture of this beautiful young lady. How many of you see the picture of the beautiful young lady? How many of you see the picture of the old lady? Okay, a few because you've done this before. So if you take a look... Uh, the same picture that you can see this beautiful young lady with the eyelashes and the nose and the chin can suddenly be transformed if you look at it in a different way when you see the nose and the mouth. Can you see it? And the eye. So suddenly the same picture that you saw before is now completely different. And that's, that gave rise to a whole new idea. Instead of us accepting science, science is the authority, science has the truth. Now there came this idea, no, everybody determines their own reality. It all depends on what you see. And that started affecting art. You know, beforehand, art used to be realistic, and now it looks like my kids' drawings. You know, <laughs> they throw them up there. What do you see? I see human emotion bubbling forth and expressing <laughs> itself. There is love and hatred opposing each other. I'm looking at it and I said, that's a splattering of paint. How did you get that? <laughs> and so that's this view that you could see different things, you could see things differently, meant that maybe the way you see the world is dependent on your context, is dependent on your culture, is dependent on your background. Maybe the only reason why you are a Seventh-day Adventist today, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, is because your parents were Seventh-day Adventist. Maybe it's because that was given to you. That was the way your world was shaped. So you can't think any other way. You only know how to think. Adventist thought, you know, veggie links and things like that. <laughs> so that's the way you see the world. And then this brings us to relativism, that maybe... Postmodernism is just suggesting we are relativists. All of us just see the world through a certain lens. So just to help you out, I've used a cartoon because I know at what educational level you're at. <laughs> so here we go. This is a, a Peanuts cartoon, and there's Snoopy lying on top of his doghouse. And is that Lucy there? Yeah, Lucy comes along and says, I don't understand why you stay up there in the hot sun. You'd be much cooler sleeping over there underneath that tree. She's always bossing people around. He says, I never sleep underneath a tree. Now, notice his reason why. That's a good way to get hopped on by a hedge toad. <laughs> now, there are no such things as hedge toads. I looked it up in Google. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. Yeah. See, technology is such a wonderful thing. All right. Okay. So, thank you for catching that. So here we are, there's, he's, he's talking about hedge toads. Now, he has this idea in his mind that such things as hedge toads exist. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, up in the tree, Woodstock looks into the nest and discovers something. 
runs down, finds Snoopy, and says, tweet, 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 tweet. And he says, what, a strange creature in your nest? When there's a strange creature in your nest, it's almost always a hedge toad. That's right. I learned that in Anthro 1. You know, <laughs> a strange creature in Woodstock's nest, maybe it's a hedge toad. So now everybody's seen the same thing, looking for the same thing. That's what I was thinking, says Snoopy. Look, um, you know, Charlie Brown says, I have a book at home that tells all about such strange creatures. I'll go get it. Here it is. It's called Hedge Toads, Queen Snakes, and Gully Cats. So they just bunch together a bunch of things that don't exist. It says, look at this. Everybody says these exist. I haven't read the book, but I've read some of the reviews. So they're all in the same line of thinking. So we're getting there, Snoopy. We're going to climb this tree and find out who's in Woodstock's nest. We made it. I'm at the top of the tree. And then Snoopy says, if this is the top of the tree, why is the sky green? Again, it's painting this idea. You see this but you hear something else and that determines your perception. Then finally he finds it. I found the strange creature in Woodstock's nest. There, what do you think of that? An egg? Sno Snoopy says, this is the strange creature that was in your nest, he says to Woodstock. This is an egg. How could anyone not recognize an egg? Tweet, 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 And he says, that's the worst excuse I've ever heard. So what's the point of this little cartoon? It's teaching us that many times we see what we're pre-programmed to see. And it's hard for us to cope with what we call anomalies when things are different. And, and the whole idea here is that perception shapes reality. How you perceive the world shapes what you actually see. Now sometimes that can be challenging. Like in this case, are the people on the top of the platform or underneath? See, you can sometimes imagine a reality that cannot be built. Could you ever build something like this? No, it would be impossible. It's an optical il illusion. And sometimes this one makes you go really freaky. Can you see them turning? So I won't ma make you look at it too long because it freaks you out. But, you know, when you look at those things turning, they're not actually turning, but your mind fools you into thinking that they are. So postmodernism says... If your brain can be tricked, if your truth is shaped simply by your perception and by previous truth, previous things that you've heard, then there is really no such thing as truth. Everything is just shaped by individuals or shaped by your background. What do you guys think of that? I mean, is, it, is, is that really the way the world is? Everyone has their own little piece of truth? No and yes. Is it true that the way you see things is somewhat unique to you? Yes. Is it also true that we have a common reality? Is it possibly true that there's a truth outside of the things we can see? Come on in, guys. All right. So we want to take a look at what this means. And I'm going to give you a quick historical overview just so you can understand postmodernism. In order to understand postmodernism, we have to understand modernism and pre-modernism. Pre-modernism is simply what existed before modernism. Post-modernism is what comes after modernism. This is not rocket science. Pre-modernism is what happened in an agricultural society. This was before there were machines, before there was technology and everything else. People worked in the field, they had family, they had community, they had a priest, and world, the world back then was in some ways simple.
compared to what would happen under modernism. Modernism brought in factories, schools, uh, having things running a certain way, and it was all strictly laid out. Postmodernism said, we're done with that. Some people, nowadays, they even call some people post-postmodernist. You know, they're even beyond postmodernism. But really, all of it is anti-modernism. It's the idea that this whole world of factories and schools and science and established reality, and you could have truth and you could lay it all out, that this is a fallacy. This didn't get us anywhere. Instead, it built atomic bombs and nuclear warfare and, um, and, and government you can't trust. And have, you, have you noticed that in today's world? We don't trust institutions. We don't trust science. It's because we're rejecting this modernistic framework that you could discover truth and you could have progress. So postmodernism is this idea of there is no truth that binds it all together. We call that a meta-narrative. There's no big meta-narrative, no big story that ties it all together. People who've had big stories, like Christians, have ended up, bless you, persecuting those who are not like them. Uh, people like Islams, who have this big story about how Allah is working in the world, have ended up persecuting and bombing Christians. So they said, down with meta-narratives. And he has this little poster that says, postmodern, it's our word. Don't use it. Don't try to define it. Above all, don't label us with it, even if we apply it to ourselves. <laughs> so the postmodern shift, just to give you this overview, we can see happening through history. The modern era is what defined everything. This industrial revolution, institutions, science, truth. Uh, they used to even say, you can define if something is absolutely true or not. That's the modernistic era. And then we can see on either side of this is the pre-modern. And I don't know what happened to my pre-modern. But anyway, oh, there we go. Is the pre-modern era before the modern era followed by the post-modern era. So take a look at the differences. All right, now I finally found it. Take a look at the differences. We move from a, f a farming society, that's agrarian, to an industrial society, to an information society. Pretty major shifts. How significant would it have been if you were a farmer and the Industrial Revolution came along? Suddenly, you don't, you don't need 20 farm workers because you can have a machine do all of that work. Uh, so the people started leaving the farms and going to the where? Cities. And in the cities, you sent your children to these big schools. You didn't do homeschooling. You didn't do schooling in a little farmhouse. They went to these big schools and all the same age sat together. In a little farm school, you'd have all different ages. But in an institutional setting, we put all the same kids of the same age in the same place. How does that affect your thinking? Well, pretty much you begin to think that everybody thinks like you. And you all start, and you learn the same things, and you got the teacher in front telling you this is the truth. And you go back home and you say, sorry, Mom, Dad, you guys are idiots. I've discovered the truth at school. Any of you ever went through that? So that was the industrial age. But in the information age, who needs a teacher? See the radical shift? Because you can go to the Internet, and you can figure it out for yourself. In the pre-modern era, the family was at the center. But in the modern era, it was the institution. You went to school. In the postmodern era, you are the individual. You determine your own reality. The pre-modern era, religion. That shaped you. You, know, you grew up under a certain religion, and it determined what you became. In the modern era, it was science. 
ah, those religion, that's superstition. Science tells us what's true. But in the postmodern era, you learn about truth, not from religion or from science, but you learn it from the media. You watch CNN and you figure out what's going on in the world. You look it up online. In the pre-modern world, it was all about authority. Who had authority? And you read the book of John, by the way, and Jesus talks a lot about authority. He's showing his authority because he lives in a pre-modern era. In the modern era, it was all about what is truth. Let's figure out what truth is. But in the postmodern era, it's like, what difference does it make in my life? So it used to be Adventists did really well when they would preach. Which era were we born in? The modern era. And so what did we preach? Truth. And we did really well. People are like, wow, that's so true. I came into the truth. But we get to the postmodern era and they say, I don't care which day is the Sabbath. I just want to know what difference does it make in my life. And so that's a radical shift. And the question is, how are we going to relate to that radical shift? Now, as an example, down here there's a museum called the Hunter Museum. Anyone ever gone to the Hunter Museum of Art? Okay. So you walk down there and you walk through, they've got it kind of historically developed, and you walk through some of the like 18th century, and you take a look and you notice these beautiful paintings. How big are the people and the animals? Pretty small. You've got the big scenery, you've got the grandeur, the mountains, everything else. And a lot of the paintings are like this. Of course, sometimes you'll have some portraits. But a lot of the very realistic, you know, people are small, the scenery is big, God is out there somewhere. Then you get to the postmodern section, and I don't even know what you're looking at. But it's all about the way I feel, my interpretation, what I read into it, what it looks like to me. So the postmodern perspective is, I shape my own reality. My context shapes me, and I can read in anything I like, because as long as it's meaningful to me, it's okay. What do you guys think of that? Isn't that cool? You can just think whatever you want. You can just, you can look at something and develop your own interpretations. So what is a postmodern? I'm, I'm going to kind of summarize this section. A postmodern is a person who rejects truth claims and certainty. Now, here's a postmodern person, and they say, look, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. These are just two different truths. They are inherently distrustful and skeptical. They look at things and go, you just don't know. How can you know that's true? That's true for you. They focus on their personal feelings and desires. And what brings, what's that keyword? Meaning to them. My intuition, what is helpful for me. And they reject meta-narratives in favor of local communities and stories. So you can't put it together a big picture like this is the way the world works. You can say, this is the way the world works for me. This is the way the world works for my family, and we all have a great time. This is the way the world works for my church, and we tell our little stories, and they're meaningful to us, even if they may not actually be true in the big sense of the term, but they're true for, for me, for us. So this has been a fundamental shift, and I'm going to put it this way. In the pre-modern era, you had somebody who told you what truth was. I'm going to call this the religious guru. The guru would come in, he would be a priest, he would be somebody who had authority, connection with God, a king maybe, and he would tell you how the world worked. So the guru would lay it all out for you. Within your local family, it would be your dad. 
your dads probably still feel this way. But he would tell you, look, I'm the guru here. I'm the one in charge, because remember, it was about authority. I'm going to tell you how the world works, and this is how it works. And you would say yes. And if your dad was a fisherman, guess what you'd end up becoming? A fisherman. If your dad was a, was a shepherd, you'd become a shepherd, because he's the guru, and he tells you this is the way the world works, and that's what you do. But then came the printing press and books. And so there was a revolution that happened. And I'm going to call it Gutenberg. Does any of you know what Gutenberg is? That's when they published the first Bible. And uh, really, Gutenberg began long before Gutenberg. It was when we first started publishing books widely, back before the time of Christ. They just had to handwrite them. You know, they would write it out. Gutenberg made it possible to print it very quickly. And so now, instead of going to your guru for advice, where would you go? You would go to the Bible. But then, as they started publishing more books, they, stopped, they didn't just publish Bibles, they started to publish science, and they started to publish history, and so on. So now, to get your information, you could go to a book. And so we said, this is wonderful, and education begins, and we trained a whole bunch of young people to read books. But that was before the Google world. And now, hardly anyone actually sits down for a research paper and reads books anymore. I mean, I know you're supposed to, but I know what actually happens. You, you get there, and you let's Google it. Oh, look, cut, paste, rearrange the words, make it look good. And, you know, the source of all information is Wikipedia. They have the truth. And so you can find it out from them, and you can, you can hear about it online. And so there has been this radical shift now from I can get the truth from a guru or a book to I can just find truth for myself. And so instead of a comprehensive view of truth, you get just a little bite-sized version of truth. How long is a Google page? About a page, right? <laughs> so you don't, you don't have to sit and wade through a whole book. You can get the neat little summary, you know, Cliff's Notes. Just download, and there it is. Here is everything you needed to know about the French Revolution. Of course, you're getting a perspective, but you can read it quickly, a couple of pages, and you've got your information. So we have bite-sized information, and we have tons of it, lots and lots of information flowing into us. And because of that, we become distrustful because everybody has a different opinion. Have you been reading Google lately? You know, you read something in there, and you, it tells you about you know, about Obama. I was doing an evangelistic series in South Carolina, and one guy came up to me, and he said, I know who the Antichrist is. And I said, who? He says, it's, it's Obama. I said, really? He said, how did you find out? He says, well, I, um, I found some stuff on the Internet. You know, he's, he's actually a Muslim, and he wasn't even born in Hawaii. He is part of a sinister plot to take over our country. He is the Antichrist. I said, wow. Well, you better come on one of these, you know, the night we were speaking about the, the mark of the beast and the Antichrist. I said, you better come because, because I've, got a, I've got a much bigger story for you. <laughs> so he, you know, he got his information off the Internet. And if you've been around a while, you begin to realize that you can't trust everything you read on the Internet. So you become distrustful. Whenever somebody says, I have the truth, you, a little antenna goes up, bleep, 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 bleep. No, you don't. No, you don't. There's another side to the story. In fact, education teaches you to be postmodern. 
because we teach you don't ever look at one side of this. Go and look at another side and a third side. Get the whole picture. And so we're actually teaching you to be skeptical of authority and truth. Now the problem is when you come back to religion, you begin to wonder, well then, maybe this was all just one warped biased perspective and maybe there's no truth in it. Have any of you struggled with this kind of thing? Or at least friends who've, who've grappled with that? So I think when we look at postmodernism, there are some things to embrace and some things to reject. I see some real opportunities here. Firstly, what's to embrace? Redefining truth. Now you may say, whoa, 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 careful here. Don't go redefining truth. But let's, let's be honest. Does anybody here have all the truth? No. You know what you would be if you had all the truth? God. It's kind of scary, isn't it? He's the only one who's got all the truth. You will always have a limited perspective. So praise be to God that we finally got away from this idea that we have all the truth. Because, you know, people who think they have all the truth have stopped learning. You don't need to learn anymore if you've already got all the truth. I already know everything, so, you know, why bother? You know, and we go through phases like that when you're about 15. But hopefully you get beyond that where you start to say, wow, I have so much to learn. In fact, the older I get, the more I know what I don't know. So we need to be able to be able to redefine truth. Say truth needs to be God's truth. And anything I see is a partial view of God's truth. Secondly, we need to rediscover humility. You know, one of the things that really drives postmodern people nuts is when we get arrogant and start going, well, you know, I belong to the true church. And all the rest of you are destined for that hot place. <laughs> you know, um, there's some arrogance that's in there. And do you think Jesus was about humility or about arrogance? He was about humility. And you can see that in so many of the things that he did. He really, he washed his disciples' feet. He said, he is first shall be last. And so there's this real sense of let's not be arrogant about what we do but recognize with postmoderns I only have a piece of the truth uh, there's a recognition of mystery and I think this is really good in the modern world we totally changed the way the Bible was read uh, instead of the Bible being the story inviting you into the mystery of God we turn it into the set of propositions like some kind of doctrinal manual now is the Bible actually written as a doctrinal manual no, you, did, did God write it down? Uh, A1, A2, 2.1, Roman numeral 3, point B. You know, did, he, did he write that like that? No. He wrote it as a set of stories and letters and, and psalms and proverbs. I, I mean, it's written quite differently from the way we would write a textbook today. Aren't you glad for that? So if... The Bible was meant to be about propositional truths. Here, here are concepts that I'm trying to share with you. It would be, it would be really sad that's, if that's the way the Bible was written. And yet that's what modernism did. What were our Bible studies like? Okay, here, let me get a list of texts. Grab from here, grab from there, grab from somewhere else. And let me, let's put all these lists of texts together and make up a concept, a doctrine. Whereas it seems like the Bible is written more like stories to bring you in. That's why when I was working at Amazing Facts, Doug Batchelor decided to do something called Storicals of Prophecy. Stories and oracles. And he said, when you get into a, the Bible, you've got to begin with a story and let that story pull you in. 
And that's something that we can learn, that, that the world is mysterious. God himself is a mystery. He's not just a doctrinal proposition. And then the fourth area here is the renewed need for community. Because they recognize I'm this isolated individual with just this amount, they've moved beyond rugged individualism to say we need each other. And I think that that's something powerful we can learn from. Now, here are some things that I think we need to reject. I'll do it my way. How does that match up with the Bible? Is there any place in the Bible where people said, we'll do it our own way? Yeah, particularly one of those, those nasty little stories in the book of Judges. You know, where it says every person did what was right in their own eyes. And there's these horrifying stories about people being chopped into 12 pieces and all those kinds of things, the ones I never read to my kids. <laughs> so how did they get to such a state where they would do such horrific things? It's because everyone decided to do what was right in their own eyes. And you can see this today in the way people approach things. One guy shot, I uh, forget if he killed, but he shot like the mayor of San Francisco. I don't remember all the details. So he goes to court and his argument, one of his arguments was, I had too many hostess Twinkies. And so that kind of warped my thinking. And so it wasn't my fault that I kind of shot this guy. And they were like, what? You know, how did, the, how did this happen? But, you know, the jury gave him a lighter sentence because they felt maybe he did have too many hostess Twinkies. <laughs> so why would we do this? Because we say, you know, if, if your thinking's not quite straight, you're not held up to an ethical norm, an ethical moral, and I guess that can excuse you to some extent for doing some of the things you do. Wouldn't that be great getting to class? You know why I didn't get my homework done? I just had too many hostess Twinkies or Little Debbies. And, and I just ate too many and I couldn't think straight and that's why I couldn't get the homework done. And that was my reality. Please excuse me. But this is the kind of thinking going on in today's world. Something else that we really want to reject in addition to ethical pluralism is a loss of meta narrative, is a loss of God's story. Now, the problem is, if I just have my little story and I'm just moseying along, then that's, that's my narrow view of the world. It's this little circle. And they say there is no big circle. There is no big thing going on. And I feel that that leads to meaninglessness. Many, I'm a recovering postmodern. You know, I went through a stage where, you know, we were all into meaning and who cares about truth. And I was a theology student at the time. And so my, I remember when I started to feel like this is wacky was when my theology friends came back and they just watched Pulp Fiction, which is this gross movie, and they were finding gospel themes in Pulp Fiction. Okay. You know, like, this was so cool. There was, you know, this and that. And then when The Matrix came out, that was like extra, extra cool. Mm -hmm. And I started looking at this and going, this is meaningless. We just, you, you can never get out of this narrow view of the world. I, I, I need a big picture here. I need God to provide meaning and purpose for my life. And when I came back to this idea that there is this gospel and this great controversy and God is at work and there is this devil and they're fighting each other, then it's more than my narrow picture. It's the big picture. Any of you ever read Rob Bell's Love Wins? Anyone here? Or maybe not. Okay. Good thing. No. There, it's fascinating because he says there's no hell. And uh, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you might say, hmm, you know, this, is, this seems to be kind of similar to our position. But what he ends up saying is that heaven is what you have on earth. This is basically heaven. 
And when you look at that, you say, well, that's a little meaningless. You know, if all I've got here is, is this life, is there nothing more? Is there no big story to tie it all together? So this is as a recovering postmodern. I've looked at this and said, this doesn't work for me. And then I see this new age spirituality without doctrine or truth. And what this means is you just have your own spirituality. You need no doctrine, nothing to hold it together. It's kind of like the emergent church movement. Don't tell me about sound doctrine, you legalistic doctrine, doctrine mongers. What's going to happen to this guy in the picture? He's going to fall off because you can't cut off the Bible and expect to still be on solid ground. And uh, postmodernism says there is no foundation. There is no big story. And in the end, the, the emergent church, which was so popular a few years back, they've just splintered. Why would they splinter? Because everyone has their own truth. So nothing's going to hold them together. And in the end, you'll, you're going to embrace anything you feel like embracing. And so in the end, you end up falling off the cliff. The challenge that I see is exactly what is pointed out however, by Brian McLaren. He is an emergent church uh, kind of guru. <laughs> and he says this, and even though I don't agree with everything for Brian McLaren, I do agree with this statement. I believe that one reason postmodern people stay away or drop out from our churches is that our churches, locked in modern paradigms, tend to shrink or distort God to fit into familiar modern categories. Let's make God just safe. Let's make God scientific and rational. Take all the mystery away. Many postmodern people are open to God and many are fervently seeking for God. But like a hungry person coming to a restaurant, when they come to us, they find that everything we cook is heavily seasoned with modern seasonings that taste horrible to them, so they stay away. Can you, you get the idea here? So they come, you know, let's find out what what's this church is about. And they come in and they find formalism. And they find us saying, we have the truth. And they find us not caring about the poor, but caring more about doctrinal correctness than the poor. And they find us reading the Bible as this dry book that you just pull little verses out of and proof text our way to a doctrine. And they look at this and they say, I'm not interested in that kind of religion. It doesn't seem to be life transforming. Do they have a point? Yeah, absolutely. And so we need to start seeing it differently. So three options here. Number one, join the bandwagon. Number two, ignore what's happening and just keep doing what we've always done. That's nice and safe. Or number three, see the new paradigm as a time of dangerous opportunity. And in the next section, what we're going to do is we're going to go through different areas of being postmodern, and we're going to see how do we reach somebody who thinks very differently like this. Um, how do we reach out to them? And I've got four categories here. Um, how do we reach out to them and understand their world? Because I believe we live in a time of dangerous opportunity. We live in a time when if we embrace this, we can see Jesus come. Can you say amen? amen. But if we don't, we're going to end up just being outdated and irrelevant. Two stories and then I'm done. When I was um, traveling on a plane, two plane stories, traveling on a plane, I sat next to these two ladies and they begin having this discussion while I'm there just sitting, reading the little magazine and they start telling about how terrible churches are. And then they go, and pastors are the worst. 
and they start talking about pastors. So eventually, I, I just can't keep quiet anymore. And I say, you know, I couldn't help overhearing your discussion and just wondering what had led you to this conclusion. So they start telling me about how they were alienated from churches. And one lady is a Buddhist and one is kind of new agey. And, and that's what they believe is the truth that we belong to the cosmos. And, that's the, and, and we will all join in one universal consciousness. It was all very interesting. But they still keep trashing churches and pastors the whole way through. So I said, well, I have a different perspective. And they said, oh, really? What's your perspective? And I begin to share my perspective. Now, as we were moving along... Uh, they said, well, you're ridiculous, you know, um, for judging others. They said, now, we don't blame you for believing what you believe. That's totally fine. You can believe anything you want. That's postmodern, right? Believe anything you want. But me, uh, you know, but us, we believe in this grand, uh, you know, idea. So I'm like, yeah, well, uh, you know, it's nice that you're calling me judgmental. That's interesting. So I said, well, let, let's take a look at that. I said, what happens if, we all die, and then what's going to happen next? They said, well, it depends what you believe. And I said, but, but somehow something is going to happen next. You're either going to stay on the ground or become part of the cosmos, or there's going to be a God. Now, what if there is a God? And they said, well, that's what you choose to believe. I said, and we choose to believe ours. Both are true. I said, whoa, 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 how can both be true? One of them is going to end up being true or not. And you know, the strange thing was they could not see it. They could not see this different point of view. Now, the second story, uh, by the way, as we were landing on that plane, the lady suddenly turned to me and said, are you a pastor? I said, yeah, I am. I knew it. I knew it, she said. Anyway, didn't convert them. But the second story was much more exciting. Again, I was sitting next to a guy, kind of postmodern guy, rejected the church, I have my wife and my three kids, and we take off, and I'm trying to deal with the three kids. If you've ever tried to travel with three small children, don't. Uh, so, you know, I'm handing toys over, etc. And then the guy, you know, he starts telling me about his life. And I go through Fort. Any of you ever done Fort family, occupation, religion, testimony? So I'm getting towards my testimony, asking about religion. He's like, no way. I rejected that a long time ago. I'm not into any of that. It has no meaning to my life. So I knew I had to approach him on the level of meaning. So I said, well, you know, it, it, it has meaning for mine. Would you like to hear my story? I'm asking him for permission. He says, sure. So I begin telling him my story. We get in a great conversation. And he's really paying interest. And we're coming down to land. And this is, of course, in between handing toys to my kids. And we're coming down to land. And, and the guy turns to me and he says, you know, I think I'm going to give that God thing another try. I'm like, yes. And then he slips a piece of paper into my hand. And I'm like, wow, phone number, I don't know, but it's, we're landing. I need to deal with the kids. He goes out. We're the last ones off the plane because if you have three kids, you're the last ones out. And so we finally get all of our stuff, and we're making our way out. And I look down at the note of my hand, and it's a $100 bill that the guy decided to give me. And I've been witnessing on planes ever since. And so <laughs> but I recognized that no matter where a person is at, the gospel can apply to their lives. The question is, are we willing to get out of our comfort zones, enter into a different frame of reference, and reach a person who desperately needs Jesus Christ? Let's pray. 
Father God, we want to thank you that you have called us to witness for you. You've called us not just to, to have a faith that is our own, but you've called us to enter into this postmodern world and to show that there is truth. But at the same time, Lord, help us to learn not to be arrogant. Help us to learn not to depend on ourselves and our own perspectives, but to recognize there really is a difference in the way we see things. And then to see how you entered our world, became somebody like us, and help us to, to enter into the postmodern world, to understand their world, and to bring them the gospel. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.